Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. and join me again in the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20. How many of you knew we were already going to be there? I mean, come on, man. It's become so predictable, hasn't it? Uh, We are already here in commandment number six today, and um, commandment number six. We have gone through the first five commandments together, Um, and uh, so it's kind of like, you know, uh, with Ten Commandments, it's kind of like, you know, we've been, been kind of just trudging uphill all the way. And we got to, you know, we got to number five last week, and now we're kind of on the back half. We're kind of going downhill. So um, it's all downhill from there. Do you get it? Do you get the pun? Because Moses got the commandments on a, a mountain, right? So now we're going downhill uh, with, okay, never mind, forget it. Maybe if I'd used a golf pun or something like that. So if you're keeping track of corny puns, that's Derek one. Everybody else loses <laughs> all the way all the way around, right? Uh, so anyway, but um, uh, excuse my shameless plug for McDonald's. I signed a uh, sponsorship deal, an endorsement deal. Uh, no, I'm just teasing. Uh, would that be weird if preachers got like endorsements, product endorsements? Uh, but anyway, uh, no, I just forgot my water bottle up here. But um, I'll be drinking a little bit of water today because uh, as I mentioned, I'm kind of battling an infection. So some of the antibiotics I'm on is kind of like gives me dry mouth a little bit. So what you're probably thinking is maybe he won't preach as long. No, that's why I got this beautiful McDonald's water up here uh, so that we can keep on going. But anyway, but as I said, we've reached the precipice and uh, let's look at uh, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, let's not kind of belabor the point. Let's just dive right in and look at verse number 13 together. One verse and then we'll be looking at some supporting, some supporting texts uh, here this morning as well. We've come through all of these commandments that relate to our relationship with God, right? Have no idols before me, have no other gods before me, worship only me, keep the Sabbath day holy, all of these commandments are about our relationship with God. Even commandment five was like a transitional one because it's kind of like uh, as, our, as our kids uh, respect us as parents, it's like in a, it's recognizing the authority that God has placed uh, above us as, as far as kids to parents. Now we get wholeheartedly into the relationship that we have with our fellow man, with other people. As we head down that mountain together and on that back half of the Ten Commandments, uh, this is where we come to. And we look at verse number 13. Let's read this aloud together three words, right? Do not murder. Do not murder. Father, I pray this morning that you would speak to us from your word, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would guide every word that is said, every word that is heard. Help it to land heavily within our spirit this morning. Open our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds to, and also open our hands to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Three words, do not murder or thou shalt not kill. Plain and simple, straightforward, to the point, right? Now, I'm going to just ask you this question. By a show of hands, how many of you are guilty of murder? No hands. All right, so we can just close the Bible up, have invitation, go home, right? No. Because as every other commandment that we've looked at, that we look at and think, you know, I got this one covered, this one's going to be rough on us too. By the end of the message today, I want to show you from God's word why every one of us, while our hands may not be guilty of murder, our hearts are. 
Every one of us stand convicted and condemned before God for having murderous hearts and murderous spirits. The title of the message today is simply this, do not murder, don't even think about it. Now that we add that tagline onto there, don't even think about it, because Jesus said later on, don't think about it, and he's the fulfillment of the law. Now how guilty are we? I heard my mother-in-law gave me some wonderful marriage advice back almost 20 years ago when Stacy and I got engaged. And she said, you know what? Earl and I, uh, we decided there were some words that were just not appropriate in our marriage. We would never say the D word. We would never say the word divorce, but we would say murder. It's always an option on the table. So um, we already know that my mother-in-law has a murderous spirit. No, I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. Uh, That's going to get me in trouble right now, isn't it? All right. Anyway. Um, But that's kind of the way we are sometimes. Our hearts, our hands may not be guilty of murder, but our hearts, that's a different matter. So let's look at this uh, together. First of all, I want to thank Ryan for taking us through the fifth commandment. Yes, uh, this past uh, Sunday, uh, he did a great job with that. And Ryan is a a daddy to be very, very soon at any moment. Matter of fact, he's got the the dad phone back there in case he gets a call during the service. If you see him run out, uh, that you know where he's going. All right. Um, but uh, I can't wait to see how all those wonderful things that he shared us, shared with us and preached to us and made us feel guilty about, I can't wait to see him mess it up. I just can't wait. It's going to fit. No, I'm teasing. He's going to do a great job. He's going to do better than all of us because he clearly, he clearly had it down after the message that he gave Sunday. But I think it's interesting, and this is where you know God has a sense of humor, right? So, you know, as a, as a child, which all of us are a child, right? We all, have, uh, we all have a parent and child relationship in some way, shape, or form because each one of us, are a product of a parent, right, or someone who gave us life. So you would think, okay, so God's like nailing the the kids right here in the fifth commandment. So in the sixth commandment, he's got to be talking to the parents, right? And what is it? (laughs) Don't murder. (laughs) Isn't that funny? Like, so it's like, all right, so kids, obey your parents. Parents, don't murder your kids. All right, it's kind of like, that's just kind of the way, uh, it's kind of the way I I read it there. I thought it was kind of funny. That's corny pun number two. Derek two, everybody else loses. So I think... It's interesting, though, that we look at this command not to murder. We look at it and we go, no, duh. You know, we shouldn't have the right to take somebody else's life. You know, life is something that is precious. It's something that we just know within our human spirit. But the reason we have that within our moral code is because it's existed ever since God created us. It's existed ever since God gave us this law and this command. So today we're going to look at four things about this commandment. And then we're going to look at how Jesus' murder frees all of us from the condemnation. First, we're going to look at the core of the commandment. What is the commandment all about? Because it's more than just three words. We're going to look at the central message of the commandment, what God is communicating about himself and his desire for us to understand about him and his will for our lives. We're going to look at the reach of the commandment. What are some contra- we're going to be looking at some controversial subjects and topics within our culture and how the sixth commandment relates to some of those topics. And then we're also going to look at the depth of our murderous hearts. The fact that our hearts are not as clean as our hands may be when it comes to murder. And then we're going to finish by looking at Jesus, who is our only defense when we stand before God as the convicted. So let's get going. First of all, the core of the sixth commandment. Now, from a strictly legalistic standpoint, if you look at this and say, do not murder, and you don't have murder on your rap sheet, on your record, you're not sitting in prison or on death row, you can say, I have not committed murder, so therefore I'm innocent. I don't stand condemned to that. From a strictly legalistic viewpoint, that's it. And we can write it off and say, no big deal. Some of you are probably looking at that and you say, I'm glad that that commandment's there. I'm sure somebody needs to hear it, right? Somebody needs to hear it. But I already know this. This is just something that I know as a human being. I'm not going to murder somebody. But is your heart set 
on something different. There's a whole lot more to this commandment than just meets the eye. And that's what brings us kind of to the big idea this morning. The big idea that we have to understand when it comes to the sixth commandment is that the sixth commandment is about not only not murdering, but understanding the value of human life. And it's also about our commandment or commitment that we have to preserve and protect and defend human life. See, murder goes a whole lot further than just don't take a life. When God says don't murder, what he means to his followers is not only don't take a life, but give your life to protect life. This is why Jesus said later on in the New Testament, he says, greater love has no man than this, than he would lay down his life for his friends. This is how far we are as believers, as followers of Christ are to go when it comes to the sixth commandment. It's not enough just to not actively take a life. We have to be active in preserving and defending and respecting life, human life, that human life is sacred. So that's the core of the commandment. It's not just about just not murdering. It's about realizing that people are precious. They're precious to their creator. And therefore, since they're precious to our God who we worship, they're precious to Jesus who we are bearing his name. Life should be precious to us as well. And that means all life, not just the life we like, not just the life we agree with, but all life, all image bearers of God. So scripturally speaking, the command to not murder has a much deeper definition than just don't become a serial killer and you'll be okay. See, a lot of Bible writers had deeper definitions of what this commandment meant as well. James, the half-brother of Jesus, in James chapter 5, he said that the command not to murder extended to our attitude and how we treated the poor. How we treated those who many times people look at and say, I want nothing to do with you. I want to pretend you don't exist. James said, if we don't look at them with love in our heart and with an urgency to try to help we have murderous hearts. Ezekiel, the prophet, said that if he didn't carry God's message to the people, then it would make him guilty of murder of God's people in Ezekiel 33. The apostle Paul said the same thing about his call on his life to carry the gospel to the nations. He said, if I don't take the gospel to the nations, I will have blood on my hands. Jesus looked at a deeper source for murder too. When it came to murder, Jesus looked at the hearts as well as the hand. He said that this commandment really gets to how we feel and how we think about people in our hearts. It's not just that we don't. You ever wanted, oh, here's what I'm saying. If somebody ever made you so mad you just wanted to throat punch them? You know what I mean? Jesus said this, if we look at them and we have these ideas in our minds and our hearts, guess what? We're guilty of that as well. He says that he looks at our hearts. You ever get so mad at people that you just fantasize about their harm? You're in church, you can be honest. You get so mad at people, and I'm not talking about the person you're sitting next to, okay? Some of you may be, I don't know. I'm, not, I'm just not sure how things are going with you. It was, it's been a long week, everybody's been snowed in, so we've had a lot of family time together, right? But have you ever just gotten so mad at a person or a group of people that you want to see their harm? You want to see bad fortune come their way because we all have vengeful spirits. We all have this sense of justice that's based upon, I'll be the judge of when justice has taken place. And so a lot of times our sense of justice is, I want to see somebody suffer just as much as I have suffered. See, it doesn't have to just be physical harm. It doesn't have to be death. It could be the desire to humiliate or put somebody uh, in their place or get revenge. 
There's an old episode of Seinfeld. I'm not a big Seinfeld fan, but one of the episodes I saw, George, you know, and George is this kind of guy who's always whining and stuff, and he, you know, he talks like this a lot and everything, and he's eating shrimp at a restaurant, and his friends come up to him from work and said, yo, George, and this is so 90s, yo, George, the ocean called, said they're running out of shrimp, go easy. And at that point, George is so like low in his security, he gets so mad, he's inflamed, he's infuriated. And the rest of the episode covers like a week of his life, and all he can think about is how he's going to get these guys back. All he can do, he's fantasizing about something happening, he's thinking about all this stuff. But you know what? That's what we do too, right? I'll tell you what, how many of you ever lost an argument before? How many of you had an argument before? Okay, if you've ever lost an argument, do you do this? I do this all the time. If I feel like I've lost an argument, I will replay that argument in my mind. And I will go back with the things I should have said and would have really got them, really put them in their place. And I have the whole argument all over again. But guess what? This time I win because I'm like, yeah, I could have said this. And then they would have been like, whoa. And they would have said this. And then I've been ready with this. And it plays out perfectly in my mind. Pastor J.D. Greer says this. I've, never lo- I've lost many arguments, but I've never lost a rerun. That's the way I feel about my life sometimes, right? We can lose a lot of arguments, but we never lose the rerun, do we? But you know what? That's evidence of a murderous spirit that's developing within our soul. When we can't look at a person as an image bearer of God, but we would rather look at them as an enemy to be defeated rather than an image bearer of God to be evangelized, then we have a problem. And so that's kind of really the depth, the core of this commandment. That when we look at folks as less than we are, when we look at folks as our enemies, we look at folks and we say, we look at them as less than the image of God that they bear, it leads us towards, it preps our hearts for a murderous spirit. It's about the heart, which is much more prone to murder in most people than the hand is prone to murder. More than likely, most of the people hearing this message are not going to become the next serial killer. They're not going to become the next Lee Harvey Oswald or John Wilkes Booth. It could And it comes from when we give our heart place for murder, it eventually works its way to our hands. So we must be careful about that as well. So that's the core. Let's look at the message of the sixth commandment. See, through the sixth commandment, God is revealing not just what we're supposed to do, but he's revealing his heart for us. What he wants us to understand about how he sees our life, how valuable he sees our life. And by the way, God sees you as valuable. Every single one of us, he sees as valuable. It doesn't matter if anybody else in this world sees you as valuable. God in heaven saw you valuable enough to send his son to give his life so that you could have eternal life. You are valuable. And this is what the commandment is saying. When God says something so simple as do not murder, what he is saying to us, the message we're to get from that is deep. So let's turn over to uh, Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. Give you a second to get there. This is the first appearance of the command not to murder. It comes way before, way before God gives the Ten Commandments, and he gives it to Noah as they're stepping off of the ark. And in verse number one, it says this, God blessed Noah and his sons. This is after he steps off the ark and after the rainbow and all of those things. It's only Noah's family left, and he says, we're going to create a new world. And here's what we're going to establish it on. We're going to establish this new world on the sanctity of human life. God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply the earth. That was the same command he gave to Adam and Eve. The fear and terror of you will be in every living creature on earth, every bird of the sky, every creature that crawls on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. They are placed under your authority. Every creature that lives and moves will be food for you. Thank goodness we can now be meat eaters. Amen. All right, anyway. 
However, you must not eat meat with its lifeblood in it. And I will require a penalty for your lifeblood. I will require it from any animal and from any human. If someone murders a fellow human or if someone murders their brother, I will require that person's life. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans his blood will be shed. For God made human beings, God made man, God made mankind in his image. So what do we draw from this? First of all, we draw that human life is precious to God. Human life is precious to God. When he said, you shall not kill, that was given all the way back when Noah, when, when there was earth 2.0, when God was restarting everything with Noah and his family, he gave this commandment. Human life is precious. He said it is precious. It is above all other aspects of creation. Now, Noah had just gone through a major global disaster. There was, there was countless losses of life. There were very few people that survived this. Many of you are probably sitting here thinking, if God is such a life-loving God, why did he allow for this to happen? That's a message for another time. God always considers life to be precious. But what happens is in our sin, we begin to denigrate our lives. But here's what God is saying to him. And here's what we have to understand too. Anytime there's a mass loss of life like that, we become desensitized to the value of life. We hear numbers like 400,000 and climbing of people dying of COVID. And we think, man, that's a lot, but we can't really wrap our minds around 400,000. But you lose your dad to COVID and all of a sudden you realize the magnitude. You see, we think of wars and we hear the, the, the Holocaust and we hear how many people died in the Holocaust. We hear how many people were senselessly killed during the years of slavery. And we think those are just numbers. But when one person close to us dies, that number becomes astronomical. Why? Because life is precious. Life has value. Numbers lose their meaning. And this is what God wanted to put in place with Noah and his family. I realize that a lot of life has been lost, but life is still precious. Your life is precious. Every life that will come hereafter is precious. Not only is it precious, it is above and beyond value of all other creation. And here's the thing. Our society today, we can really characterize ourselves by a culture of death, can't we? We live in a culture of death. Modern American society, we're entertained by death, right? We live surrounded by death. News of death, images of death, it's around us 24-7. In, in a study that was done over 20 years ago, over 20 years ago, and I'll tell you why they stopped doing this study in just a minute. Over 20 years ago, American children between 8 and 18 years of age, the American, Psycho uh, the American <clears throat> Pediatric Association said they will spend an average of 6 hours and 21 minutes each day using entertainment and media. That was before YouTube. That was before um, TikTok and all that type of stuff. The numbers have gone up even more. Children will spend between 0 and 6 years of age, they will spend about 2 hours each day using screen time. Now get this, by the year, by 18 years of age, the average American young person will have viewed an estimated 200,000 acts of violence and murder on television. 200,000 acts of violence and murder on television alone. Now, the reason that they have not gone and done a recent study is because with the advent of YouTube and customized media and streaming service and all of those things, they can't even calculate the numbers. They can't even calculate the amount of screen time. They, they can only estimate that now the violence, based upon what a person decides to look at, could estimate above a million instances by the time they turn 18. Tell me that doesn't have a desensitizing effect. Think about some of the shows that we watch, some of the shows that you watch, the movies. 
I mean, everybody loves, everybody loves the superhero movies, but have you thought about how much violence and death takes, takes place in those movies? And we cheer it on because they're the bad guys. See, we, we get desensitized in this culture of death. Add that to the real events that are going on in our world, the real things that are taking place, genocide, murder, all these things, and we live in a culture that is surrounded by death. Because here's, the, here's why. Because it's the way of the flesh to devalue life. It's the way of the flesh to devalue life. But it is the way of God to hold life in its highest and most precious regard. God does everything differently than we do in our flesh. So we will, on our own, devalue life. Sometimes we'll even devalue our own lives. But God will always hold it in its highest regard. Once again, God, God created us. And in verses 1 through 4, it tells us that God created humanity above all other aspects of creation. We also see that human life is priceless, not only precious, but priceless. Look what he says again in verse number 5 and 6 of Genesis. And I will require a penalty for your lifeblood. I will require from any animal, from any human. If somebody murders a fellow human, I will require that person's life. Whoever sheds human blood by humans, his blood will be shed. For God made humans in his image. God said that the price for taking a life is your life. You know why he says that? Because there's nothing else on earth that equals the value of a human life. If God had said, okay, if you kill somebody, it's a $5 million fine to the family and 50 years in prison, and you've paid your debt. No, God says there is nothing valuable as life. Life is priceless. This is why the, the price for murder is to die. In other words, human life is priceless. It's sacred to God, therefore it needs to be sacred to us. Human life is precious, it's priceless, and here's why it's priceless. Because human beings are the only aspect of creation that bears the image of God. You and I, faulty as we are, messed up as we can be, good looking or as ugly as we are, we bear the image of God. Now I'm not talking about we bear the physical features. God doesn't have body, a body like we do, but we bear his image. We are mind, body, and soul. We exist in a triune being, just like God does. He gave us his image. Why is human life so priceless? This is why. Because we are made in his image. And here's the other thing. Humanity is kind of the greatest prompt to worship that we can think of, isn't it? I've told you before that some of the things that I go to whenever, whenever I'm, I can to look at, to be kind of reminded of the magnitude of God and the awesomeness of God and the majesty of God is I look at the ocean and I look at the universe. It just kind of reminds me, it just makes me want to stop and go, God, man, you're so amazing. It just kind of prompts me to a worshipful heart. And, and, and you probably have some of those. Maybe it's the mountains or maybe it's when you look at pictures of the Grand Canyon or maybe it's something different like that. But God says his glory exists in its most fulfillment in a human being. Now, how weird would it be today? You walk up to your server at the restaurant and look at them and they bring you your food and you say, man, you know what? You just make me want to worship. You think it's going to weird somebody out? But this is what God is saying. We are the height of his creation. We bring and reflect the most glory, more glory than anything else. We do as human beings. Now, if I look at my server and say, you know what? You just make me want to worship. That's going to incite murder in my wife's heart. All right, you get this pun number three, in case anyone's tracking. Corny joke number three, okay? So when you think of men and women as anything less than the image of God that they bear, you have a murderous heart. 
because ultimately murder defiles God's image. See, to take an innocent life in the book of Genesis was tantamount to killing God in effigy. So it was a, it was a breaking of so many different commandments. To kill someone was considered to be just as bad as if you had taken and created an image of God, like a statue of God, and then burned it down in effigy saying, I want to see God, I want to say the same thing happened to God. So God views it as when you kill a person, you're killing off my image, my glory. That's what murder is to God. And guess what? Scripture calls Satan a murderer from the beginning in the book of John. How surprising is it that in this culture, in the way that we live our lives in the world, guess what Satan's trying to get us to do at every turn? Devalue life. Look at other people and say they're less than me. How can they be so stupid? How can they think this about this issue? How can they think that about that? And then what do we do? Man, they don't agree with me. They must be less than me. And all of a sudden, we've denigrated the image of God that is in them and that is all over them. Because we've based them not upon the image of God, but upon something else that's altogether different. See, if Satan can convince us to devalue life, it'll be the ultimate gut punch to God. Because it gut punches God and says, I just convinced your people that the other people you created don't matter. So let's look at the reach of the sixth commandment. The question is, what isn't covered by the sixth commandment? When you look at murder and when it says murder, a lot of people look at that and they say, do not kill. So what does that mean? And they begin to think of some of the, some of the real life issues that we live with in today's culture. And they begin to ask, well, what about self-defense? What if I take a life in self-defense? The sixth commandment allows for that to happen because you are taking life to preserve life. If somebody is coming at you to take your life and you take life to defend and preserve, that is not murder in the eyes of God. Also not murder in the eyes of God, but still controversial today because we have to be careful that these things are carried out with equity and with justice and with certainty of guilt in a person's mind or on a person's hands is capital punishment. Because God said that a life requires a life. He also gave governments the rights and the responsibility to wield the sword when life is taken. Now here's what I'm going to say, a lot of, and I don't want to get into a huge political debate. I struggle with how I should stand on capital punishment. And the reason for that is because our system, the way it's set up, there's inequity that is involved in it, and there have been so many cases where a person was wrongfully convicted and their life was taken when they did not commit the crime. There is a great onus of responsibility that lays upon that government if they're going to carry that out. That's why we pray for our governments, why we pray for our judges, we pray for those people to have godly wisdom when it comes to carrying out those things. That's the thing that we have to approach those things with is very serious sobriety. The other case is just war, and you can find that in Romans chapter 13. And again, we must be serious about the wars that we enter into. Are they morally just? Not all wars that are fought are morally just. There are cases where just war is moral and it is right. But those are things that we have to be very grave and sober about before we enter into those things. What is covered by the sixth commandment within our culture, those things? One of those things specifically is abortion. Abortion is, I believe, covered by the sixth commandment because the taking of an innocent human life. The baby in the womb is human life. We don't arrive at humanity in stages, okay? I don't, I, I'm not more human today because I got my college degree than I was when I was a first grader. Just because I'm more developed as a human doesn't mean I'm more human than I was when I was a baby. I'm human. 
and I'm, more, I'm, I'm just as human as I was the moment that I was conceived and God gave me life. See, those for abortion will often argue that the fetus is not human life. The only question I have is, if it's not human life, what life is it? What form of life is it? What form of life is it? And please hear my heart at this. I'm not coming at this from a political agenda. I'm not, because I truly believe that if we are to see abortion cases go down in our country today, it's not going to happen in the courthouse. It's going to happen in the heart. It's just not doesn't mean that we don't stand and we don't try to say that, that a fetus is a life. We don't, it doesn't mean that we don't say that. We don't proclaim the truth of what God's word says, that before you were even formed in the womb, I knew you. And I knit you together in my mother's womb, as the word of God says. doesn't mean any of that. What this means is, I'm not coming from a political agenda. I'm coming at this from the perspective of someone who desperately wants to hold human life as sacred by the commands of God and what he says. And as a believer who cares deeply about life from the womb to beyond the tomb, I also care about women's health. I believe women should have the access to health, but societal agendas can never hold a trump card and become so important that we're willing to kill another life for another one. I'm also saying this from a societal standpoint, not a personal note. So if you, if you have had an abortion or if you are contemplating an abortion, I'm not saying it from a point to just personally shame. I'm saying that when you look at God's word, I ask you to look at God's word, what he says about life, what he says about a child in the womb, and make your decision based upon what God tells you to do within your heart. Euthanasia, same process. At what life, at what point does human life lose its importance that we can just say, throw it away? Suicide is also another act. Suicide is the only act of murder where the consequence is carried out on the victim. Suicide is an act of murder when we murder oneself, and it's one of the saddest things, and it is on the rise within our culture today. The reason for that, we live in a culture of death. We live in a culture that does not value the sanctity and the sacredness of life today. And that comes from the next thing, which we're going to talk about, the depth of our murderous hearts. So we've looked at a lot of these things and how it applies to more of a teaching scenario from here. But now let's look at the preaching side of this, the depth of our murderous hearts. You might be thinking here, man, I'm, I, all that stuff, I ain't for none of that, man. I, I'm, I believe that life is, life is valuable. I believe, you know, I don't, think, I don't think abortion is good. I don't think euthanasia is good. You know, I pray for those who are, you know, who are depressed and that they would never succumb to suicide and all those things. And these are real issues within our society today. And so you're thinking, man, I'm not murderous. Let's look at what Jesus says about it. The first question we have to ask is, why do we murder? Why does murder happen? We murder, ultimately, because we value something on earth more than we value the lives of others. We value something on earth more than we value the lives of others, and we have to kill in order to get it or to maintain it. See, there's something that we need so badly that it matters more to us than someone else's life, someone else who was created by God just like you were. Think about all the murders in the Bible. And man, there's a lot. There's a lot of murder in the Bible. Matter of fact, if you want to read some like really like just, just like <laughs> drama-filled stories, get in the Bible, man. There's some stuff in there. It pulls no punches. But think about all the murders just, just took place in the Bible. They killed because of greed. Esau killed Jacob, wanted to kill Jacob because he wanted his father's blessing that Jacob had. Whole nations would invade other nations to get their hands on their resources. Greed is based on the fact someone has something that I want and I can only kill them to get my hands on it. We'll kill because of jealousy, which is similar, but someone needs, someone else has something that you want and you want to kill them because they have it and you don't. See, Cain murdered Abel because he wanted the blessing. 
King Saul spent his last half of his life hunting down David like a dog because he was jealous of God's call to, for David to be the next king. Fear is another reason we think somebody might be able to take something away from us. It's something that I don't want to lose. So this is where we get King David telling your, uh, having Uriah killed because he didn't want to be found out as an adulterer with his wife Bathsheba. Personal vengeance and hatred is another thing. Somebody ticks you off and the only thing that you can think to satisfy you is their death. Absalom killed his brother for raping his stepsister. I told you, the Bible's full of some crazy stuff. The common thread in all of these cases is that somebody values something more than they value the life of somebody else. Or they value their own pride more than they value the life of somebody else. Remember this, ultimately all of the commandments go back to a sense of idolatry. And idolatry is simply saying, I hold something as higher than God in my life. And we begin to value things higher than God, then we'll value, any, we'll value things as higher than anything. Nobody will sit there and say, you know what? My portfolio is more important than my kids. But check your heart. Remember all the commandments ultimately go back to idolatry. And murder, like all sins, begins with idolatry. You're just not satisfied with the place that God's given you in life, so you take his powers of life and death into your hands and you change those things. So let's think about a couple of expressions of murder that we oftentimes don't see, but they go on beneath the surface in our heart. See, up to this point, you're probably still thinking, I'm good. I, don't, I ain't got none of that going on in my life. Let's get a little bit lower into our heart and begin to ask ourselves a couple things. So remember, the title of the message was Don't Murder, Don't Even Think About It, right? So for the next part of the message, we need to go to Matthew chapter 5. Go to Matthew chapter 5, and if you're really familiar with the layout of Scripture, you know that that's the Sermon on the Mount preached by Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at the words of Jesus here and what he has to say about murder. <sighs> Beginning in verse number 21 and reading verse through verse number 22. <clears throat> Let me get there as well. Matthew chapter 5 and beginning in verse number 21. <clears throat> no, not Matthew 21. Matthew 5. I'm telling myself that, not you guys. Here we go. Matthew 5, verse number 21. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors. Now, he's, he's, he's referencing the passage we're in in Exodus chapter 20 right now. He says, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister. Uh-oh, anybody ever been angry before? Nobody's ever killed anybody, right? We, we're, we're still on it. Nobody's killed anybody since the last time I asked, right? Okay, anybody ever been angry at somebody? Okay, the rest of you are liars. It's good. We're going to be talking about you all later on. He says, whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. And whoever says you fool will be subject to hell fire. Ever thought somebody was crazy? Ever thought somebody was a fool? Ever looked at a person's post? or a person's political affiliation and thought, man, that person's evil. Guess what? We're murderers. That's what Jesus said. If you've ever been angry at somebody, it's the same as murder in your heart. So how are we feeling now? I wasn't feeling good when studying, so you guys got to feel as bad as I am now while I'm preaching. Here's what we have to understand. Having anger towards others that desires their physical harm is a murderous spirit. 
Verse 22 says, if we desire somebody's harm, we're guilty of murder. All this starts in the heart. So let me ask you a couple of probing questions. Do you have a list of people in your head that you wish would just disappear or get out of your life or not pop up on your timeline on Facebook or not come to any more family events? It's murder. Who is it that you'd love to see fall flat on their face and humiliated in the ice? It's a murderous spirit. Do you ever fantasize about telling somebody off? There's a lot of people saying, oh, me right now, right? Do you gossip about somebody with your best friends? In the South, we don't call it gossip. We just call it venting, right? And then we, we wrap it up with bless his heart. He's a flaming idiot, but bless his heart. It's murder with a smile on your face. Is there, ladies, is there a girl that you wish would just unexplainably overnight gain 30 pounds? Do you have fits of rage against others that are unseen by most people, say, in the car when somebody cuts you off on New Circle Road? Do you enjoy playing Grand Theft Auto or Call of Duty just a little bit too much? These are all evidences of a murderous spirit, a poison that begins to grow in our heart. And once it takes its place, it doesn't just stagnate, it continues to grow. Thinking of people also, thinking of people as less than the special image bearer of God is a type of murder as well. The second half of verse number 22 says, if you insult your brother or call him you, you fool, you're going to be subject to hellfire. Insults indicate that our heart regards someone as less than the image of God. Each time we insult somebody or we look at a person and we think, man, what's wrong with them? Or we get angry at them or we say they're different than me and we judge them. What we're saying is they don't have the same image or manifestation of God in them as I do. When we put ourselves above someone else or above a certain class of people, we are murderous in our hearts. Genesis 9 used the term fellow human or brother when speaking of people. It is to indicate in the original language that that person is made up of the exact same stuff and composed of the exact same quality materials that God used to create you. So who is it that you think of as more of a group, a group that you don't particularly like? In today's society, it might be a political party. It might be a race. Look at the Arabs, the blacks, the whites, the Mexicans. You say, but they're this, and that explains all of their faults. No, they're a human being, individually created by God, with individual DNA and individual fingerprints and a family and parents that love them just like your parents love you and possibly kids that they love just as much as you love them, your kids. They're created by God individually. Jesus died on the cross to cover their sins if they would come to him. They are not just a group of people that fall under a stereotype. They are creations of God that bear the image of God. And we do not have the right to look at them and say, you're less. Maybe it's the Muslims. Maybe it's illegal immigrants. Maybe it's the religious right or it's the liberal left. Or dare I say it, Louisville fans. We are always tended to put people in classifications. You know why? Because the Bible says, united we stand, we are better together. Divided we fall. Guess who's trying to divide us into all of these subgroups and races and ethnicities and nations and all of that type of stuff. Guess who's trying to divide us into all these classifications? It's not God. It's Satan. He is the author of confusion. He is the one who sows division. And guess what? He's also the one that the Bible said is a murderer from the beginning. We have got to, as the church of Jesus Christ, we have got to stop letting us fall under these divisions and break down these walls and start caring about people as souls rather than skin colors. We've got to start caring about people as people who have been 
The blood of Christ has been shed to pay for them. And if we're not going to do it as the church, who is? Who is? We're the ones who have the proper ammunition, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I drank a lot of coffee this morning. See, turning a deaf ear also. We, we didn't like that point much. Let's go to the next one. Turning a deaf ear to the suffering of the poor while living in luxury is also a type of murder. I mentioned James a little earlier in the message. Here's what he says. James chapter 5, verse 5. He says, you've lived luxuriously on the earth and you've indulged yourselves. You fatten your hearts in a day of slaughter. James was a half-brother of Jesus Christ, and he's talking about people who turned a deaf ear to those who were right around them in need. Immediately I go, and I think about the rich man in Lazarus, the parable that Jesus told. A man who had somebody living right outside his door that had need, and he never cared for him. See, in our context, it's ignoring the rest of the world as they go right on pursuing the American dream. Yeah, it's awful what's going on in the third world, but right now I'm working on, you know, upgrading my house or upgrading my car, and I should come first. Piling stuff up, totally oblivious to the cries of help for people around us. Well, how is this murder? I didn't do anything to those people who are living in third world conditions. Why am I responsible for people that I don't know and probably that I'll never meet? Because the whole commandment not to murder is built upon the preciousness of human life. So what I'm saying is if you can turn on the news and when you see the suffering around the world and the things going on in the third world or in the 1040 window, and you can hear stories like Taylor Lowe who comes back and talks about the conditions in Haiti and all it compels us to do is say, man, I am so proud to be an American. I'm so happy that I live here. You've missed the boat. And this is what so many times we do. We look at all the suffering around and say, man, I'm just so happy that I'm not there. What if Jesus had that mindset after Adam sinned? He looked down from heaven. He saw all the sin and the death and all the things that our sin had wrought. And he just said, man, I'm happy I'm here, not there. No, here's what he did. He said, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to put on flesh and I'm going to die for them so that they can be redeemed. The last thing, and we'll be done. Not giving the gospel to those to whom God has sent you is also a type of murder. Not giving the gospel to those to whom God has sent you is also a type of murder. In Ezekiel chapter 33, I'm only going to read verses 7 and 8. But in here, God is telling Ezekiel that he is a watchman. He is someone who is set to look out for the good of others around him. And as a prophet, that made him responsible for taking the message to them. And here's what it says in verse number 7. It says, as for you, son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. When you hear a word from my mouth, give them a warning from me. If I say to the wicked, wicked one, you will surely die, but you do not speak out to warn him about his way, that wicked person will die for his iniquity, yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. Fast forward to what Paul said in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. He said, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. See, those who know the gospel also bear the burden of the gospel and that is to take the gospel to those who need him. But each time we look at a person and say, you know what, I got other things to do. Each time we shirk away from that opportunity to share the gospel. 
it reveals a murderous spirit with inside of us. What does the number 1.8 billion mean to you? That's the number of people that are living within this famed thing called the 1040 window. 1.8 billion people in the world, one-seventh of people in this world have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. They don't even have a Bible in their language. What does that do to us living in 2021 with everything at our fingertips? How is that even possible that that many people in this world still don't know the name of the Savior of the world? It's because too many of those who have resources available, who have a mouth to speak, who have the story to tell, stand back and say, I'm not telling it. I'm going to reserve it for the professionals. Still today, eight out of 10 Christians will live and die without ever sharing the gospel with Jesus, of Jesus Christ with one other human soul. Still today. That means, in that case, eight out of every 10 Christians stand condemned of a murderous heart when it comes to the propagation of the gospel. Say, man, when is he going to be done? I'm feeling, anybody else feeling guilty? What are we supposed to do? Where, where's my defense? Where's, how do I get out of this? We're sitting here squirming, going, where's my hope? How, 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 does, how do we cleanse this? And that's the last point as we close this morning. The murder of one frees the murder of many. The murder of Jesus will set us free. So I would say that most of us, most of us today, couldn't live with 33 seconds without sin in our lives or in our hearts. And trust me, if you thought this one was rough, wait till next week with adultery. And then when we get into some other stuff too, because let me, let me tell you, it's always going to be about the heart, not the hand. I just made sure that none of you all are coming back next week, right? <laughs> Look, if I have to preach it, you have to hear it. But the murder of Jesus is what sets us free. <sighs> Jesus is the only one who ever fully obeyed the sixth commandment. We can't go 33 seconds, much less 33 years, without committing a sin. Jesus lived 33 years, never committed one sin, even though he was tempted, just like we are, the word says. He never had a murderous thought. He never disrespected his parents. He was never guilty of idolatry. He never would have posted a nasty thing to someone on the internet if it had existed. He was perfect in every single way. And what did he get for it? He got murdered for it. Like, a, like an innocent lamb sent to the slaughter, our transgressions were laid upon him. And all of our humanity, all of, our, all of us, we're all guilty of his murder. No, we weren't the Roman soldiers that drove the nails. We weren't the people that cracked the whip. We aren't Pilate who tried to wash our hands. But every one of us stand condemned as murderers of Jesus Christ because every one of us have sinned and made his death necessary. Isaiah chapter 53 says, but he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities and punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. And lastly, as we close our eyes and bow our heads, in 1 Peter chapter 2, I love this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, by his stripes, you have been healed. This is the gospel. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, this is the gospel. By his wounds, you have been healed. By his murder, you have been exonerated. By his death, 
you have life. Remember, the penalty for murder is a death sentence. The penalty for sin is a death sentence. All unholiness carries a death sentence. But when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the way. He paid the debt. He took the sentence for us so we could live eternally. And the question that is before every man, woman, boy, and girl that ever has lived and ever will live is what are you going to do with that knowledge? What are you going to do now that you know that Jesus paid the debt for you that you could not pay? Will you receive his gift of salvation or will you pass it up and stand in continued condemnation? It's a no-brainer, isn't it? When we realize just how condemned we stand before God, a holy God in our sin, it becomes a no-brainer that if Jesus is my only way, give me Jesus. This is why Paul said, I will glory only in the cross of Christ because it's at the cross where his blood was shed that my, the blood guiltiness on my hands was cleansed. If you don't know Christ today, don't play games. Come to him today. Don't wait. Be set free. He died so you could come to him and live. So if you need to know Christ today, if you need to be saved, if you're watching today, I tell you this, the Bible says that if anyone will confess with their, of their sins and if they will confess the name of Jesus Christ and call upon him to be their savior, you will be saved. And you will be saved. So if you would call out to God right now and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I trust in Jesus as my savior. I plead his blood over my guilt. Wash me clean. I trust in you and in you alone to be my savior. Thank you for dying for me. In Jesus' name, if you pray a prayer like that, asking God to save you, he will save you. There is no amount of guilt that will ever keep him from coming to you. He loves you that much. If you don't know Christ, come to him today. If you don't know Christ and you're watching, you reach out to us. There's a way you can Facebook message us right there as you're watching right now, or you can send us an email at gracewaylex.org. If you're here this morning, come today. Talk to me. Talk to someone about how you can know Jesus Christ is your Savior, how you can have a relationship with him. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about his grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.